Thanks for joining us today. This message was originally presented on Sunday, August 11th at Cross Church. Pastor Allen shared about God's justice in Psalm 37. Enjoy. Well, everybody, it's uh, hard to believe that we're coming to the end of our summer. And uh, today marks sermon number seven in the series of 10 of David's Psalms. We've got two more to go after today. Um, but don't, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Summer is almost over, but we've got a great fall lined up. Really, really excited about our summer series, or our fall series called Conversions. And uh, oh, you're going to be just so thrilled and so excited about it. Uh, but let's carry on with Psalms. So as you, as you have heard me say over the past uh, seven, six weeks, David was a sinner, and yet he was still called a man after God's own heart. And he wasn't your just your run of sort of the run of the mill kind of sinner. I mean, this guy committed adultery. Uh, he was responsible for the murder of the the husband of the woman he's having uh, committing adultery with. Um, really did some bad things, and yet, and yet, God calls him a man after his own heart. What is it about David that causes God to love him so much? So much, in fact, that God declares that David's throne will last forever. Some of you know that David is, in fact, one of our Lord Jesus' grandfather, actually. If you read the, the genealogy of Christ, you will indeed find David in that genealogy. But he's a, he's a great man who does great things. Most of us know David as the one who, who killed Goliath, and we've shown you a number of pictures of that over, over the past numbers of weeks. Um, but I want you to know that David is more than just a giant killer. He's a man who loves God. He's a man who is acquainted, very acquainted, with his own capacity for sin. And I'm going to tell you this today, that I believe it's impossible for a person to be converted, to be born again, until they come face to face with their own, not only their own sin, but their own capacity to sin. We need to understand that we need a Savior. Does everybody understand that today? Uh, say it with me, I need a Savior. I need a Savior more than I need anything else. I need to be saved. When a person has come face to face with their own capacity for sin, then you understand your great need for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, David is a man like that. Even though he predates the birth of Christ, he was a man who, understand, who understood his capacity for sin. And we find throughout the Psalms, and in, in, I mean, he, David wrote at least 75 psalms, and many of them, he's confessing his sin to God, and he's, he's you know, crying out to God for forgiveness. He's admitting that he is indeed a sinner. It's critical that you understand that. Because if you don't understand that, then you'll never understand David, and you'll never understand why he was the great man that he was. He understood his need of God's grace, God's forgiveness. Now, the psalm that we're looking at today is, I'm going to tell you, is my, my personal, um, I would say my personal favorite. 
This is a really, really important psalm that I want to share with you today. But know this about David. David has inspired not just me. Uh, one of the best books I ever read was a book called uh, The Making of the Man of God by Alan Redpath. It was written back, I think, in the 1950s. But what a powerful book about the life of David, surrendered to God, humble and godly. He's inspired many, many people for the past 3,000 years. In fact, let me show you another painting. And this painting is by Il Gersino. He's uh, an Italian painter. This is probably painted in the mid-1960s. The guy with the, with the uh, crown on his head is, in fact, King Saul. That's not David. The guy playing the harp uh, is, is, in fact, David. There's, there's so many paintings of David and, and his story because he's inspired us. He gives us hope. He gives us courage that if, if God could, could love David and work in David's life, then he can do the same in, in my life, in my heart. So, sometimes life is unfair. Here's David playing the harp for King Saul. And this is, this is after David has killed the giant and, in, in essence, has liberated all of the people of Israel, and saving King Saul, the, the, the horrors of battle against the Philistines. Israel literally took over because of David. This is so unfair. David should be honored and respected. He should be exalted as a great man of God and as a great soldier of Israel. But instead we find Saul chucking his spear at David. Wow. Maybe you're here today and you have been through some very unfair experiences. You've experienced terrible injustice. You've been accused of things that are not fair or not true. You've gone through terrible injustice. You've been treated terribly unfairly. People have said things about you. People have put you down. People have hurt you. Maybe it's your children, maybe it's your family, maybe, uh, maybe a spouse, uh, your boss, the people that you work with. You've experienced terrible, terrible injustice at the hands of others. The question is this, as a Christian, how do we deal with it? How do I face the injustice that I'm going through? And the fact is, is that absolutely every single person here is going to or has Faced or is actually going through some unjust experience. As Christians, how do we face that? What do we do with that? I can tell you that as a as first of all, just as as a as a person, as a as a man, I have faced terrible injustice. Uh, as a boy, I faced injustice. As a pastor, I have faced terrible injustice. We all have. And I'm going to tell you right now, and this, this, this is maybe counterintuitive. Maybe it kind of goes against what you would naturally think as, uh, you know, as, as what would be good. But God allowed David to go through, through this injustice to teach him how to be a man of God. Now, I want the Spirit of God to speak to you right now. Because I'm going to tell you, the struggle, the difficulty, the injustice that you may be experiencing right now in your life, 
God knows all about it. God knows all about it. And God is even allowing it. You know, some of us are tempted to rise up and, and start accusing our husband or the wife or, the, or Satan or the kids or the boss. We're going to accuse, someone's got to take the blame for this. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to turn our eyes upon him and to keep them there. This is the test of real Christianity, of true Christianity. And we're going to see that in just a moment. I would tell you, this psalm is very personal to me. Of all the psalms, it's been the most helpful. It literally got me through the first 10 years of my ministry. And it's, it really has helped me ever since. And you're going to see it in just a moment. For 36 years, I have, I have clung. I found myself clinging to this promise, the promises of Psalm 37. It's a psalm that David wrote at the end of his life. It's not something that he wrote with hopes that this will be true. <laughs> but rather, he looks back and he says, you know what? This is how God works. God is just. God is fair. And you're going to see just in a few moments what I mean by that. He looks back over his whole life, gives a summation of the way that, that life really is. And the way God works in our life. Now, for some of you sitting here today, you're feeling maybe really, really discouraged by life. You're feeling, oh, man, I don't know if I can go on anymore. After you've heard the message today, you're, I, I believe you'll have wind in your sails once again. You'll have gas in your gas tank once again. You'll be able to go on and you'll be able to face anything. Because you're going to be reminded today that God is sovereign over all. That whatever happens to you, God knows about it. He's in charge, and he's going to get you through. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's buckle up, and let's see what David has to say about Psalm 37. Look at this, uh, look at this passage of Scripture, 1 Samuel 19, 9-10. King Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand. Now, can I just ask, who sits around at home with, their, with a spear in their hands? <laughs> Kind of bizarre. I mean, Nicholas, you live with me. You've never seen me do that. I never sit at home with my spear in my hand. I keep it in my bedroom. <laughs> and it says here, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again, upon Saul. As David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David. But David dodged out of the way and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, boom, he fled and escaped into the night. And that was the last time that David was in Saul's company, in Saul's presence, except for the time that David found Saul in a cave, which I'll tell you about later. David, the hero, is now the hunted. He is now the enemy of Saul. And then not just Saul, but all of Saul's army and Saul's generals and virtually of everybody who wants to earn favor with King Saul. David's enemies are too numerous to count. This was the beginning of the injustice that David would experience 
his whole life through. Even after Saul died, David was still under attack. Can I just remind everybody of something today? Maybe you thought, when I be, well, when I become a Christian, all my problems will go away. How many, how many thought that? And you found out, hey, hold on a minute here. <laughs> I still have problems, still have difficulties. David tells us in Psalm 37 how we live with that. Can I remind everybody, this world is not our home. We're passing through. Everybody knows that, right? You say it with me, I'm passing through. I am out of here. Uh, you don't have to say that. This world's not our home. We're, we're, we're not, this, this world is full of injustice. Because as Paul tells us, the God of this world is governing this world. And that's why it is such a disaster. That is why every time you turn on the news, there's hatred, there's fighting, there's war. So David ran from Saul's presence, and he remains a fugitive with Saul's whole army after him for, for years. What was his crime? Well, his crime is that he's a godly man. A godly man trying to do the will of God, trying to honor his God and honor his king. That's his crime. David loved God and loved his king so much that he was like a mirror to King Saul. Every time King Saul looked at David, he saw in David what he should have been. And it made him angry. And no doubt he was angry at himself, angry at David, angry at God, angry at, at the prophet Samuel. He was just mad and jealous, so jealous that he was not more like David. Remember, Saul's the one with the crown. Saul's the one with the wealth of the nation at his disposal. Saul is the one that has the army, and yet we find that Saul is jealous of David. Why? Because David is a man after God's own heart. Because David wants to honor God and even honor the king, the king who's trying to kill him. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Can I just tell you something about the injustice that you are experiencing or have experienced or will experience? None of it makes any sense. Did you get that? It makes no sense. Why don't your children talk to you anymore? It makes no sense. Why is there war between your side of the family and, and her side of the family? It makes None of it, what is it? It's emotions gone wild. It's sin that rules in the hearts of humans so that we live in a world where nothing makes sense. By the way, this is why we have to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a broken and lost and hurting world. We need to make sense out of what is senseless. This is David's experience. So not only is David hunted by Saul, but now David is surrounded by treacherous men and women who want to win favor with the king by getting David. Let me just tell you the kind of man that David is. 
One time, one time and David is hiding in a cave, Saul and his uh, soldiers come marching through. And uh, pardon me on this, but this is actually in the Bible. Uh, the Bible says that King Saul is out there with his armies, and all of a sudden he has to relieve himself. Does everybody know what that means? Yeah. He's got to go and do what we all have to do. And he goes into the cave, and some of his, some of his soldiers with, with David, like David had about 400 men who were under attack the same way David was, and so they rallied to David, and, and they nudged David, say, here's your chance to get Saul. He's right here, right here in the cave with us. This is your chance to kill him. And David, if anybody has a right to kill Saul, it's you. Hey, has Satan ever whispered those kinds of things into your ears? If anybody has a right to get back, to take vengeance, to get even, it's you. Think about how they treated you. Think of what they said about you behind your back. Think of how badly you were treated. You deserve to get even, right? Wrong. David says, what? This man, our king, says this to his men. This, this man was anointed by God to be the king of Israel. I am not touching him. But what David did do is he snuck up to Saul as he was relieving himself and actually cut off a piece of Saul's uh, robe or, or cape. And after Saul was done, left the cave, David stood at the mouth of the cave and said, King Saul, look at this. I could have killed you. And in a, in a sudden moment of remorse, Saul is oh, just full of sorrow and, and, and sadness. And I'm so sorry, my son David, and please come back with me, and I love you, and this will never happen again, and you're my special son. And, and you've heard it all, haven't you? David says, I forgive you, but if you don't mind, I'm going to just go my own way. David could have killed him. David could have got even. David could have taught him a lesson. God, God I'm sure, I'm sure God gave David this opportunity to test David, to see what kind of a king he would be. I'm going to ask you right now, how do you respond to people who take advantage of you, who misuse you? I can tell you what, what my natural inclination is. My personal natural inclination is I want to get even. <laughs> what can I do to get even? I need to teach him a lesson. I need to teach them. I want to teach her a lesson. Oh, they're going to hear from me. They're going to get it. They're going to get it earful. I, I'm. An, I. Oh. I, I. Is anybody here like this? Of course you are. Honestly speaking. And David says, "No, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. I'm going to continue to love Him and respect His office." 
I'm going to tell you right now, my friends, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to have to do things Jesus' way. Do you know when Jesus was attacked? When Jesus was put on trial? When Jesus was, was whipped and beaten? And when they put him on a cross? You know what he said? Father, forgive them. I'm going to tell you, if you're, if you're, if you're not converted, you can't, you can't do that. But if you're truly converted, then you can say to that one who's taken advantage of you, who's hurt your feelings, you can say, I forgive you. Father, forgive them. Father, I love them. I care about them. David did this. And for that reason, he became the grandfather of Jesus. What kind of faith do you have today? Is it real or is it bogus? See, the real, the real faith of the real Christian is that you do things the way Jesus does things. You don't do it your way. You do it Jesus' way. That's the sign. That's the evidence that you're truly converted. I want to just read to you some verses from Psalm 37. I'm not going to read the whole psalm because it's too many verses, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, not now, but after the service. I'm going to ask you to read the psalm. Uh, read it uh, as, a, as a gift to me because you love me so much. And it's my favorite psalm. I'm going to just read the, just a few passages from here. And then I'm going to ask you to take a look at it yourself. But look at it says here in Psalm 37. I don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. I want you to see David's focus is squarely on the Lord. And then we read down in verse 34. So I'm skipping verses 9 to 33, but you're going to have to read these on your own. Put your hope in the Lord. Travel steadily along his path, and he will honor you by giving you the land. You will see the wicked destroyed. What's, what David is saying here, he will, he will, God will honor you by giving you the land. God will, will meet your needs. He'll take care of you. He will give you what he's promised. The problem with us is that we try to do it all according to our own wisdom, according to our own understanding, in our own way, and God is saying, no. No, you have to, God said, you have to do it my way. So you're putting your hope in the Lord, not in yourself, not in people, because how many know people will always let you down? People will always let you down. And even I, although I won't do it on purpose, even I will, will fail you. Not on purpose, but that's the nature of human beings. In fact, you might even feel that God is letting you down. But we know that God is faithful. We know his character. And then verse 35, I've seen the wicked and ruthless people flourishing like a tree in native soil. But when I looked again, they were gone. Though I searched for them, I could not find them. Look at those who are honest and good, 
for a wonderful future awaits those who love peace. Did you get that? So your, your, your instinct is to get even and to fight. And David says, uh-uh. You need to love peace. Be honest, do good. Do good even to those who take advantage of you and use you, take advantage of you. This is what Jesus said, didn't he, in the Sermon on the Mount. We have to pray for those, pray for our enemies, pray for those who take advantage of us and love them. I'm going to tell you, this does not make sense to somebody who's not converted. If you are a believer, if you're born again, if you're a Christian, this is for you. If you're not born again, then this is all sound like nonsense to you. Verse 38, but the rebellious will be destroyed. They have no future. The Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. Did you hear that? In your times of trouble, you don't go fighting and getting even with people. You run to Jesus. He's your fortress. He's your, he's your castle. He's your safe place. How many of us as Christians forget this? We forget to run to Jesus. In verse 40, the Lord helps them, rescuing them from the wicked. He saves them, and they find shelter in him. This is what the Christian life is all about. It's all about learning how to hide yourself in God. Not looking to get even with anybody, not holding a grudge, not being hateful or angry or spiteful, not being mouthy, telling people off, but just run to Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us clearly that we're called to bless those who take advantage of us. When's the last time you blessed somebody that was taking advantage of you? When's the last time you were kind to those who were not kind to you? This is what it means to be a Christian. You say, Pastor Allen, who on earth can live like this? Well, I'm going to tell you, you can't live like this unless you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit dwells within you richly and enables you to live like this. The good news is if you're a Christian today, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, enabling you to live this life that Christ has called you to live. Wow. So I told you at the beginning, this psalm saved my life. Uh, I, would, I tell you, I wouldn't be in the ministry today if it were not for this psalm. This psalm helped me. And I'll tell you why. Well, first of all, what a shock to discover that not all family members will love and appreciate you. That's what I discovered. Not all family members will love me and appreciate me, and yet still I must honor them and love them back. Did you hear that? Has anybody been shocked by that? You, you only ever loved your family, and yet not all of them loved you back. In fact, some took advantage of you. In fact, some uh, still treat you like garbage. I experienced that, and at times I still experience that. How do I react? Well, before I answer that, let me tell you another shock. What a shock. In fact, I'd say it's one of the greatest shocks that I discovered when I first became a pastor. 
is that not everyone who is called reverend or pastor is necessarily a mature Christian. That was a huge shock to me. Not everyone who's a denominational leader is necessarily wise or insightful. And those of you who have come to this church for any number of years, you know that I have shared some of, some of my personal story. When we were in Greece, for instance, and it turned out that things were going on there that shouldn't have been going on, and we came home and we reported it. And rather than being embraced and thanked for being truthful and honest and, and being helpful, we were the bad guys. I can tell you when I walked out of the office of the director of missions, it was not there now, it was, this is many years ago, I was absolutely dumbfounded. I couldn't believe what happened. And Gloria came out and she was crying and she said, Alan, what happened? And I made a promise at that moment, we will never be at the mercy of this organization ever again. But I learned something. Not everybody who's in office is necessarily mature or has wisdom or insight. And by the way, you know that the truth did prevail. It took some years to finally the truth came out. And guess who they called on to go back and and fix the problem in Greece. The same people who didn't believe me are now the people sending me back to fix it. Like, what is going on here? You didn't believe me? You thought I was the problem? And it turns out I'm not the problem? And I never, did you know I never got an apology? Nobody ever said, hey, we're so sorry for how you were treated. That was unfair, it was unkind. But listen, I didn't need a word of, uh, of repentance. I didn't need anybody to say we're sorry because my eyes were on Jesus. I discovered that this world is run by very imperfect people, even in churches. Hello. They're everywhere. In fact, I even found out my parents weren't perfect. Not everyone who's called an elder or a deacon or a church board member is necessarily godly or mature. I remember when we had to ask a board member to step down, he and his family just gone, so angry. Even though that person clearly could not do the job. What a shock. Not everyone who calls himself or herself a Christian is actually a Christian or a mature believer. Some of you are sitting here today, and this is, like, this is like really hitting a nerve. What a shock as a pastor that not everyone who calls me pastor actually wants me to be their pastor, if you know what I'm saying. Not everybody who calls me pastor actually wants me to do my job. Because sometimes I have to make very difficult decisions. Decisions that make some people angry. Make some people so angry, that's it. I'm leaving the church and the pastor, what a horrible human being. And I can tell you with, with, uh, with all sincerity, 
I have never hated anybody in my care. I have only ever loved everybody who's in my care. I have been frustrated with a few, but I never stopped loving them. And I always, always maintained a heart of love and kindness. What a shock. Sometimes I have to preach very difficult sermons. How many have, have heard one or two of those difficult sermons? And sometimes I come on here and I say, God, I know after I preach this sermon, I'm going to lose half the church. Thankfully, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and sometimes as a pastor, I have to discipline certain people. We live in a day and age, well, actually, we have, people have never wanted to be disciplined. How many know that? As a father, I discipline my kids. As a pastor, I have to discipline sometimes, and sometimes it's very difficult. I don't like to do it, but I have to do it because that is my job. And sometime, someday, I'm going to have to stand before Jesus and give an account for how I executed my responsibilities. Now, did you notice I said execute my responsibilities, and I didn't say execute anybody. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that. Sometimes I've had to put a stop to ministries that are not working, but it's someone's beloved ministry. Sometimes I've had to ask people to step down. Sometimes I've had to insist on a higher personal Christian standard. What a shock. And what a sad day when people leave because they're mad at the pastor. And I, I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to be totally honest with you as a pastor, the hardest thing that I have ever had to deal with over the past 25 years at this church is when people get angry and leave. It, it breaks my heart. It absolutely it breaks my heart. I can't tell you what it does to me. But I'm going to remind you of what the Apostle Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians 1.10. He said, if I'm still trying to be, uh, if I'm trying to make people happy, then I'm not a servant of God. My first responsibility as pastor is to give an account to God, is to please God, is to do God's will. And if I'm not doing that, then, then Paul says, well, then I'm not a servant of God. If I'm trying to please you rather than please God, then I'm not doing my job. Then you need to fire me. You need to get rid of me. You need to call the elders together and say, it's time for Pastor Allen to go. He's trying to please us too much. But when I'm pleasing God, when I'm doing my job as a pastor, that, my friends, is when you're safest. Because you're going to hear the truth, the truth that sets you free. I can't force people to be discipled or to be trained or be disciplined by me I can't do that. That's something that you have to choose to do. But what a shock when things don't go ideally. You know, when I began in the ministry, I was such an idealist. Now I'm, a, I'm more of a realist. <laughs> but I really had high ideals and high hopes that when I do things God's way, what a difference that would make. So I'm, i got to wind it up here, but let me just quickly share with you David's blueprint to survive injustice 
and to thrive as a Christian. And by the way, I need you to read this psalm later. Would you put, how many are going to read Psalm 37? Say aye. aye. All opposed? Good. <laughs> I'm so glad you've honored me as your pastor. I'm going to quickly share with you three things that David tells us to do in Psalm 37 that's going to help you to thrive and survive. Did you get that? Thrive as a Christian and survive injustice. Because I'm going to tell you, every single person sitting here today is going to experience injustice, or you experienced injustice, or you will experience injustice. Someone's not going to be nice to you. Someone's not going to be fair. So here we go. Ready? Ready for this? The first thing you have to do, Psalm 37, 5, 6. I memorized this verse. These verses, I'm telling you, they were in my mouth when I first started the ministry. I was constantly reciting this. It's, David says, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him. Say it with me. Trust him, and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiant, uh, radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. You cannot, you cannot do that on your own. Did you know that? It's God who's going to bring back the clouds and let everybody see, ah, Pastor Allen was right after all. Dad was right after all. I'm not always right, but I can tell you who always is right. His name is Jesus. So in the meantime, folks, what you and I need to do is we need to put our trust in him. And I'm going to tell you, again, you can't do this if you're not converted. If you're not born again, you can't do this. If you're not born again, you're going to be fighting your own. Soon as I'm out of church, but I'm going to let them have it. On the way home from church, when someone cuts you off, ooh. God will make you, make you an object. of his glory, people will see in you, wow, she really is a Christian. Look how she dealt with that. He really is a Christian. He'll make your innocence radiate like the dawn. Do you know what? There was a, there was a couple who treated me like garbage, like absolute garbage. And I... And they were in a position of power, and there was nothing I could do about it except run to Jesus. And I went to the Lord, and I said, God, here we are again. You need to make my innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of my my cause shine like the noonday sun. You know what God said to me? Alan, write them a letter and apologize to them. What? God, are you kidding me? Do it. Yes, sir. <laughs> and I wrote the letter, and I apologized, and they sent me back the letter. And I thought, oh, I'm gonna, they're going to do the same. They're going to apologize to me. Not. All they said was, well, we're so glad that you finally opened your eyes and you could see the truth about yourself, and uh, we, apo- we, we forgive you. And that was it. And so you know what I did then? I, just, I got on my knees and I said, God, 
this is now in your hands. This is your problem now, it's not mine. Oh, I love doing that. I love turning things over to the Lord. It's your problem now, God, you deal with it. And God help them. <laughs> How many know that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? It's not Satan you need to be afraid of, and it's not people you need to be afraid of. You need to fear God. Because you got God against you, you're in big trouble. Hello? So God, I leave it in your hands. You know what? 20 years later, this couple of men, they went through hell. You know what I thought to myself? I wondered how I would react to that. And I, I had profound sadness, and I prayed for them. And then I found myself, bizarrely, reaching out to them as a friend. And because of that, they started coming to my church. And we're friends to this day. I mean, they don't live in the province anymore, but man, God, you're so good. You're so good at bringing justice, but more importantly, bringing love. So you're going to have to trust God for this. And every time you're struggling with somebody who is just, or, or, or something that's it's so unjust, what you need to do is you need to run to Jesus and tell him all about it. Don't take matters in your own hands. Don't get even. Trust that God is going to work it out. Then the next thing you need to do, David says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait. How many know that this is hard to do? Say, God, I prayed this morning. I want this done by noon. How many know that's not exactly how God works? You know why it doesn't work that way? Because so often what we're going through, the, the struggle that we're going through is for our benefit. God says, you'll be over this as soon as you learn. Say, oh, all right. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Don't worry about that. Just wait patiently for the Lord. What's, what's David saying here? <laughs> He's saying you've got to do your devotions every day. You've got to go meet with God every day, pray, read your Bible, let your heart connect to the heart of God, and just leave it with God. Everything's going to be cool. Tell the person beside you, everything's going to be cool. Relax. Everything's going to be cool. But you've got to do your devotions. You've got to meet with God. You have to pray and read your Bible every day, or you're going to be in trouble. The injustices, the problems that you face are going to overwhelm you. And then we read in Psalm 37, 8 to 9, stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. How many struggle with this? Uh, nobody wants to say, oh, except a few people are honest. Oh, I've, been, I've been angry so many times. You just can't believe how angry I have been. But I'm just being honest with you. And that's when I have to run to God. Say, God, give me the grace to treat all these people the way you want me to, with love. David reminds us, the wicked will be destroyed. But those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. In other words, he's saying those who trust the Lord will win. Isn't that good? Those who put their trust in the Lord, you will win. If you don't put your trust in the Lord, if you... If you, if you 
decide to lose your temper and be angry, you're going to lose every time. Angry people lose, but those who trust in the Lord win every single time. Hey, David refused to hate Saul. In fact, he was... He, he loved Saul so much, even though Saul hated him, tried to kill him. This blows your mind. He was kind to King Saul's son, Jonathan. And when it was discovered that Mephibosheth, that's Jonathan's son, was found a crippled, David didn't say, oh, here's my chance to get even with Saul. I'm going to kill that little. No, he's going to eat at my table as royalty. Wow, this is Christianity, folks. This is what the true faith is, full of love and generosity and kindness, trusting in the Lord, not being angry, not losing your temper. And this is what, this is what David reminds us of. Look at those who are honest and good, for a wonderful future awaits those who love peace. You want a wonderful future? I know you do. I want, a wonderful, I want a wonderful future for myself and for my kids and my grandkids, if we ever have any. Nick? <laughs> I want a wonderful future where love and peace rule in our family. Stop looking at poor Nick. <laughs> but listen to this. But the rebellious will be destroyed. They have no future. You know, some people glory in their rebellion. And I could, all I can say is, those who glory in their rebellion are just plain stupid. I know you don't often hear that in church, do you? From a pastor. But the stupidest thing you can be is to carry on in rebellion. The sooner you learn to submit to God's will and His plans and His purposes and His way of living, the sooner you are going to know great joy in your life and the sooner you're going to start enjoying your future. How many want to enjoy their future? Here's the answer. It's that simple. I hope that you fall in love with Psalm 37 the way I did. Would you stand with me, please? I just want to quickly remind you. I just want to quickly remind you of what you need to do to thrive and survive. Say it with me, thrive and survive. The first thing, what are we going to do? Does everybody, anybody remember? The, you're going to trust the Lord. You're going to trust God. God, I don't get it. I don't know how to deal with this, but God, it's your problem, not mine. Just literally in your mind to yourself, bring in the injustice and drop it at the foot of Jesus and say, it's your problem now. Got it? The second thing you're going to do is you're going to do your devotions every day. Because in doing your devotions every day, your focus is on Jesus. And then thirdly, what are you going to do? You're, going to be, you're, you're not going to be angry. You're going to be joyful. Hey, you want to know if you're angry or not? Ask yourself, am I happy? If you're not happy, then you're angry. You can't be happy and angry at the same time. I've just given you a wonderful test, and there's no charge for it. How do you know if you're, if you're angry? Well, you're not happy. So ask yourself, am I happy? If i got a smile on my face, if I'm not smiling, if I'm not happy, then you're angry. If you're angry, then you're in big trouble. You've got to let it go. Paul reminds us that when we're angry, we give Satan a foothold in our life. So let it go. Let it all go. 
Jesus, thank you so much for your word. What life there is, what hope, what courage there is. God, we want to go from this place thriving and surviving as Christians. God, who learn what it means to trust you in all things and always, leaving at your feet all of our difficulties and all of our problems. God, give us the grace and the strength to do our devotions every day. And Father, we want to walk in joy and happiness. Oh, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, fill our hearts with your joy. And we pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Tell the person in front of you, go enjoy your future. Amen? Where are you going?